0: Video. Okay, we're going. Okay? All right. Walk into a room full of people and reverently say, Jesus. What happens? Uncomfortable stares. Some quick explanations of who Jesus really is. Token responses. Why? Who is this Jesus? So back up a minute. Recall that Ephesians says that we're all reconciled in Christ, and it's a call to the unity of all true believers. And last week, we looked at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, ministry training. Luke encouraging us to trustful surrender, spirit-filled and tested souls, which is great. But who is this Jesus we trust? Well, before moving to discipleship, Luke sketches a compelling portrait of Jesus and his ministry in about five chapters. Now today, people also try to sketch a picture of Jesus. Some would say Jesus is a great teacher, he's a prophet, maybe he was a rebel. So the key is we must recognize Jesus. But what about him must be recognized? Several things we need to recognize about Jesus. The first thing we must recognize is the identity of Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. How did Jesus see himself? How How did he understand his place in God's plan to save the world? Well, he tells us in one of his first public sermons. So read with me Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21, just a part of what happened here. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth you've given us. We thank you for the profound identity that Jesus had. We ask that as we look at this today, you'd help us to understand him, to recognize him, and to recognize legitimate ministry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So good news for the poor, freedom for prisoners, healing for the blind, release of the oppressed. It's good news. And then he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled. Now, when he sat down, he wasn't quitting. Rabbi sat down to, to speak, to preach, and to explain. But he sat down, and he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? In the prophet Isaiah, there's a series of poems called the servant songs. When they're plural in reference, they point to the nation of Israel and often they're rebuked for sin. But when the servant is singular in Isaiah, my servant is this amazing person who listens to God. And as a result, he's persecuted, he suffers. He suffers for the sin of the people. The famous passage of Isaiah 53, where where he dies for the sins of the people. Jesus reads one of the most prominent servant songs, sits down and says, that's me. He understood his life and his death as one of suffering for the sin of the people. He understood his ministry to be a ministry of serving the needs of the people. And as it says in Isaiah, I believe it's 51, the servant song there, he listened to the word of God and brought healing to the broken. That was his identity. Now, I want you to look just real quickly at Isaiah 61 that he's quoting, because there's something very significant about how he quotes this chapter. So it says in verses one and two, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and Jesus stops in mid sentence the rest of the sentence says and the day of the of the day of vengeance of our God so Jesus I believe stops deliberately there to say it's not the day of vengeance we're living in the age of grace from the time of Jesus to when he comes the first time to when he comes again is the age of grace God's vengeance on sin is is limited, delayed until the second coming. And so Jesus sees himself as the servant of God, the servant, bringing God's grace to forgive sin and heal body and spirit. So before we go any farther, what does this mean for us? First of all, for yourself, receive God's grace. His forgiveness is here. We offer uh, healing, the healing powers of God's new age are present and the kingdom of God has been planted. Secondly, for others, we are ministers of God's grace. We offer the joy of right relationship to God and the resources for living in right relationship with others. It's great news. Sometimes we act like it's, you know, some requirements or obligation. No, it's, it's this freedom and grace and just love from God, and we're giving that away. We're us trading one set of rules for another, but relationship, ministers of grace, So it's a real connection to God via his Holy Spirit through Christ. So the first thing we must recognize is the identity of Jesus. Now, after this, after he preaches this particular sermon in Nazareth, uh, Luke describes several other things that happen. Uh, They actually reject him at the end of this sermon. And he goes on to cast out some demons, he heals some people, and then he begins calling his disciples to follow him one at a time, and he heals some more people. So that brings us to the next thing that we need to recognize about Jesus. The second thing we need to recognize about Jesus is the purpose of Jesus. See, what happens in this next part of of Luke and all the Gospels is Jesus is, he's modeling ministry for the disciples. What is he aiming at? Let's read now Luke chapter 5, 27 to 31. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. This is Matthew, had a couple names. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is modeling ministry. He calls Levi, Matthew, despised tax collectors. You know, people, they hate tax collectors today, right? Well, they really hated him then because they could cheat and uh, make more money. But he gives everything up. See, something in Jesus, he's probably been hearing him preach. And when Jesus says, come and follow me, he thought, wow, I get to follow Jesus. So he leaves everything, all his money, everything, follows Jesus and uh, throws a party. Hey guys, I'm part of Jesus' thing now. He's my rabbi. Come on and meet him. He's great, right? Throws his party. Well, you know, Matthew's connections were not the best in the area. And uh, so there's some pretty disreputable characters there, but there are some teachers of the law and uh, some Pharisees. And the Pharisees were uh, lay leaders, they were not necessarily trained in the law, Uh, they are very stringent, but also some of their people were trained as teachers of the law, when it says here um, that they were, um, what does it say, say, it says um, Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, in other words, not all teachers of the law belonged to the Pharisees, these guys did, so they knew the word well, and they were admired like a rabbi, they're Torah scholars, and they're asking him Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? So Jesus is already breaking Jewish wineskins, and he knows it will not be acceptable to many. The new wineskin is not only does he offer forgiveness, but he builds relationship with sinful people in need. He makes disciples. He gives sin just based on loyalty to him. And he goes to the root princi- principles of the Torah, the law, which is going to be confronting the rigid rule-based spirituality of the Pharisees. So in the original context, before we get to our day, Luke explains the break with some of the Jewish leaders. They had very rigid adherence to moralistic righteousness. They defined holiness by being separate from bad people, right? Separate. And Jesus confronts that. They were blind to the deeper intent of the law, the Torah, and so they would miss major sins for, you know, trying to avoid minor sins. Probably one of the biggest things is they were blind to the human need for forgiveness and healing, and they really were not caring for the broken of the flock of God. And finally, they reject Jesus as the suffering servant who makes all of this grace possible. And so that's where uh, Luke is explaining why there was this huge break with this Jewish rabbi with most of the Jews. What happened? This is what happened. Well, why does that matter for us? Because ironically, Christ's church easily develops legalism. Some people think legalism is something, a problem with Jews. Well, legalism is a problem with every human being because we Want credit for our goodness. We want to be superior to others. Well, are we? Well, look at the stray thoughts you've had this week maybe lust, anger, pride, envy, and passes through your soul. Maybe you haven't given in to that. Good. That's great. Glory to God. But still, all that just passes through your soul all the temptations to snap at your kids or whatever it might be. Are we really better? Or do we have a better resource to walk in the Spirit? When you really know who you are in Jesus, you know that all that you have to offer and any of the worked out righteousness in your life is because of the work of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And that produces a kind of a a godliness that does not have pride or looking down, but rather looking at human need and saying, they could taste the same thing I've tasted and they could receive the same healing. So it doesn't mean we never grow, but it means that that growth we recognize is the grace of God in our lives. Friends, we need to recognize, the church needs to recognize The reason Jesus came was to call sinners. That was a little irony there, right, with the Pharisees. They're so righteous. We're really all sinners. He's there to call those who recognize who they are. They know who they are. And they're ready to come to God. We can't forget that. Our ministry is from one beggar to another. So the second thing we need to recognize is the purpose of Jesus, which is to call sinners sinners. But there's one more thing we must recognize, and this is going to segue us a little bit into Luke's training agenda. The third thing we must recognize is the responses to Jesus. So after he calls the disciples, he preaches on the nature of the kingdom, uh, Luke 6 called the Sermon on the Plain, because it's slightly different than the Sermon on the Mount. It may be the same sermon. It may be a sermon he preached various times. It's a slightly, you know, there's variations there, certainly. Uh, We see the core teaching of Jesus there. He explains what he's about, what the kingdom's about. So he's called disciples. Now he brings them to him, and he says, now here's what I'm really about. He starts to explain it. And then in the next couple chapters, Before Luke gets to the core discipleship material, he highlights various responses to Jesus. I'll just name a few and give you the references, then we'll focus in on one scripture. So in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, we have this amazing response. A Gentile centurion, Roman soldier, believes Jesus says, I haven't found such faith in all Israel. What's going on with this Gentile, right? So, wow, what an amazing response. His cousin John, the Baptist, uh, you, know, he, you know, John doubts. Let me should read that one a little bit. So uh, John's disciples told him about what was happening. So he sent a couple of them to the Lord to ask, well, our, you know, John had announced he was the Lamb of God, right? And, and John is expecting Jesus to come, uh, actually, the historical background, probably as a warrior lamb, which was uh, one of the beliefs of the time. But now he's confused because Jesus is not doing what he expected. So he says, uh, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And uh, so they come and they ask him that. And at that time, Jesus had cured many, verse 21, who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Well, what is Jesus saying? Right back to the scripture we started with. He says, John, I'm not coming as the warrior." My first coming, add a little words to it, I'm coming as the suffering servant. And he's pointing John right back to Isaiah 61, saying, John, I'm doing exactly what I said I was doing. So it's interesting. We get the Gentile, whoa, I believe. We get a godly man, John the Baptist, confused. because Jesus is not doing what he expected, doubting, but Jesus ministers to him. And then we get a very interesting story at the end of the chapter as a Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus to dinner and one of the worst women in the neighborhood shows up. Starts crying and washes Jesus' feet off with her tears all over, you know, all over his feet and wipes him with her hair. And, and this Pharisee is just like, I thought this guy was a prophet. Doesn't he know who this woman is? Remember we said the Pharisees, their idea of staying clean is to stay away. So we don't hang out with those kind of people, right? And Jesus is letting her, you know, you know, all over his feet. So uh, Jesus figures out what's going on. So he says, uh, you know, if two people are canceled debts, who's going to love them more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one that had the bigger dad canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. That would be a breach of courtesy. But she wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which would be in that culture you kiss cheeks, uh, man to men. But this woman, from the time I've entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then he has the audacity to say, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Notice again, people's sins are forgiven just based on their loyalty to him. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? He ignores them. Jesus said to the woman, your faith is saved. You go in peace. So an astonishing thing. So, you know, so we got You know, the Gentile. He believes. John the Baptist is kind of wondering what's going on. Simon is just worried about how Jesus does things. And then there's this woman who is very questionable, and she walks away forgiven. Then we have a parable immediately after that. Now, whether this is exactly when it happened in Jesus' life, Luke is placing this parable here because this parable explains something. You've probably heard it called the parable of the sower. I respectfully believe that is incorrect. It is the parable of the soils. Listen to it and hear what's going on. Because, see, we have all these different responses to Jesus. And and. And why all these, you know, why does he have to explain the the responses? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the suffering servant. And the most religious people in his society are questioning him. Even a godly man like John is confused and really, you know, crazy sinful people and, and these wacko Gentiles believe in him. What is going on? What is going on with these responses to Jesus. See, he's the suffering servant, Jewish suffering servant, yet many are rejecting him. Why? That's why he tells this parable. Listen to the parable now. Verse chapter 8 of Luke. After this, Jesus traveled around from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, wife of Susa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others; these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So some wealthy women, and they believe in the ministry. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable: A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell among the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Then he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, his disciples are confused. So they asked him what this parable meant, and he quotes a scripture from Isaiah. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see the Hearing, they may not understand. Now, that's rather puzzling. We'll come back to that. But then he gives the meaning of the parable. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and be persevering, produce a crop. And so maybe you've heard this parable preached, and you're exhorted to be the good soil, and that's a fine lesson. But what's really going on in this parable is... Jesus is explaining why people respond differently. The seed that falls on the path is superficial here, and they just don't get it, right? And so it's snatched away. They need to hear it more. I don't know if the statistic is still true, but just as an illustration of this, about 20 years ago, when specifically Arab Muslims, Saudi Arabian Muslims, were more isolated from Western culture, I was told that it took hearing the gospel 300 times just to understand it because there were so many misconceptions that had to be gotten around. And so you could say, let's see, fall on the path. Yeah. And so Jesus isn't saying, write those people off. He's saying, some just don't get it. Now, I would suggest a good ministry response would be, help them get it, right? We're going to have to repeat the gospel in loving ways, those that are willing to see, still hear it. But some just don't give it. The devil snatches it. They don't have any understanding. It's like, you know, well, uh, my sins are forgiven. Well, I don't think I have any. You know, like, well, what's going on? What's the deal here? with well, people like that, that seed on the path, they need to understand and have greater understanding of the truth. But they're not going to respond until they really see what's going on. The, the seed that falls among the rocks, now we're getting to the church. That's inadequate discipleship. So persecution comes. Oh, it's hard to be a Christian. They fall away. They need nurture. They need discipleship, Right. Thorns is the undisciplined, right? That they have uh, desires that they will not discipline their inner spirit, and so that also is a discipleship issue where we need to help people not just receive Christ with joy, do that, but also to discipline their inner being so that they're not choked up by, choked out by desires for various things and distractions and all of those the anxieties of life. Right? You get the point. So it's not so much. I mean, certainly examine yourself if you need to, and be good seed, right? But uh, most people in church can be a good seed, right? They're trying to grow. But this is helping you to understand when I'm sharing the Lord with people, people respond differently. What's going on? Well, the seed is at a different place of gestation in different people. And so they're going to need different kinds of ministry. And we need to think about that and understand that. And so then, of course, the last are the good soil fruit. So the point is the disciples are moving forward. It's not so much to evaluate your life. But those you're ministering to, what do they need, right? Reach out, for, reach for the correct tool. So for many right now in postmodern and getting more and more post-Christian America, it's the seed that falls on the path. And they just think Jesus was cool, but I mean... What does it matter, right? I'm a good person. I, you know, I've got a few insecurities, but uh, you know, I'm basically a good person. I don't murder anybody, right? You know, and so they're going to have to understand. I'm going to minister, help them understand and think about: Are we all really good people? What's the problem there? It's going to take some relationship and some time to understand that right? As well then, of course, what about those that need to be rooted in the truth? And they're, you know, they're shaking because things are hard in their life right now. Well, they need someone to come alongside them and say, hey, let's let's think about what the Word of God says. Let's pray together and, and shepherd them. Uh, shepherd them out of thorns as well, right? So that Jesus and Luke want you to have a perspective on truth and human hearts and spiritual growth. As we're ministering We have to help people comprehend the significance of the gospel. What is it and why do I need it? To be rooted in truth, to know what I believe and why, and not to be dismayed by a little suffering, but to be prepared to move through suffering and not quickly fall away. Oh, that's huge for us. To be rooted in the lifestyle of the gospel so my fruit is not choked. And when those are in place, then the gospel naturally produces fruit. So the third thing we must recognize is the different responses to Jesus. And so Jesus models ministry to his disciples as he's beginning to call and assemble a group together, speaking the truth to them, doing healing and deliverance. He models what he wants them to do. He calls them to follow him and to watch him and to learn. Luke is using this to help us recognize who is Jesus. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah. And his first coming he came to suffer, not just on the cross, but throughout his life. He suffered for the sins of others. He was broken and touched by human need. He's a model for us to be touched by human need. Secondly, to remember, to remember, to remember postmodern church. Jesus came to call sinners. He came to call people who recognize their need. And thirdly, then, to understand as we're doing our best to try to share Christ that responses to Jesus are based on the condition of the heart or the soil of the heart. So how can we respond? Think about what we share with people. I can be a little creative here. Is your message good news for strugglers, bringing hope to the broken, have you put away legalistic spirituality? Do you know how to respond to different soils in people's lives? As we're able, we're going to be exploring, continue to explore on Sunday nights uh, at tough questions, how to talk with people that don't yet see a need, don't think they have anything morally wrong in their lives. And there's other ways to explore that. You could read uh, Mere Christianity, various other resources. But are you equipping yourself to communicate to the people that God has put in your life. So reflect on your growth point. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just give us a set of rules or a set of even instructions, but you modeled as the suffering servant the life that you wanted us to live, that we could collectively be your servants in this world and so, Father, I pray that as we are hearing your words, that the seed of your word is working in our hearts and that we would understand how to be the people that represents you and that call sinners, that call people in need to find you and receive the glorious gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.